0: course, will be with you. Always.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to 20th Century Geek. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly, and we are doing Now That's What I Call. I'm not going to say who it's for, yeah, but Now That's What I Call. And I'm joined by Ria Carrigan. Ria, how are you doing? You're back on the show. You doing well?
0: I'm good, thank you. I'm back on, and I am excited for our chats, our two-parter chats.
1: Two-parter. Do you want to tell the audience what we're going to be talking about?
0: <gasps> can I? You can. That's very exciting. So I, I did pitch this to you, so you actually did. I probably should, shouldn't I? I should probably have thought of a better intro than what's just about to come out of my mouth. Um, so I really wanted to talk about Mike Flanagan. I don't yeah. know why I said it like that, like <laughs> i want a game show. <laughs> That's it, you yeah. Call calling. Yeah. <laughs> Mike Flanagan, your price is right. <laughs> come on really down. <laughs>
1: um, yes, we um, pitched it, the you- idea, and we're going to split it into two. Uh, mm-hmm. he's, he's obviously got quite a big output In the last couple of years But we're going to split it Films, which we'll cover today And then his Netflix and TV shows On the next episode There is some crossover I think there's some cast in particular Yeah <laughs> <But> <laughs> He's he, got his favourites He has definitely got his favourites um, And I think there's some also some themes But it'll be interesting to see How the two play out um, mm. But the films we're going to cover uh, And it could be interesting Because I, I didn't get to see one of these, but we're Ooh. going to cover uh, Oculus, Hush, Before I Wake, uh, Ouija, Origin of Evil, uh, Gerald's Game, and Doctor Sleep. So what we're going to cover. Lovely. So, they're the films we're going to, yeah, so they're the things we're going to cover as sort of his filmography. Um, I have seen Oculus, but it's been a long time.
0: That's mm. the one I couldn't try. I couldn't track it down. Ah, so I could only find it on YouTube or on Apple Movies. Mm. So,
1: yes, but um, I do remember being it's got Karen Gillan in, um, yeah. and I forget the last name, um, uh, Brenton Thwaites. <clears throat> but this is, oh, and Katie Sackhoff's in it as well. Yes,
0: yeah, um, she is, yeah. But th- and she's this, fantastic in it.
1: Yeah, well, I think she's an underrated actress, if I'm honest. Mm. Um, this is the because I, I like the fact that this is Karen Gillan trying to break away from. Doctor Who. This is her first foray away from Doctor Who, really, uh, before uh, Guardians and stuff. Um, my memories of this, just to sort of call the remember, is it's quite good. Some good scares and stuff in it, and the cast is pretty good. That's all I can sort of remember. I remember thinking, this is all right, this. <laughs> so what, what's your sort of, what are your thoughts on this one? We'll start and work through them and sort of... love
0: it yes perfect so I really like Mm. Oculus I Mm. think it's one of his strong films so one of the things I've really noticed about Mike Flanagan now I'm a big Mike Flanagan fan hence the reason I suggested it mostly because I keep on binging Hill House I've watched it four times now which (laughs) I'm aware is slightly insane um and obviously Midnight Mass came out
1: Last, last year because we are now mm. yet
0: yeah, we're now in a new year um and I think and I think that's one of his strongest piece of work pieces of work even though it's probably not for everybody but we'll we'll start talking about that but one of the things I've really noticed and one of the reasons I like oculus so much is he really seems to work better within restrictions
1: mm-hmm.
0: so being given limitations being given intimate stories to talk about. I feel that's where he really, really flourishes. And I think that's where you see his steady hand as a horror director um, and as a storyteller. Because one of the things I really like about him as well is I think he's one of these sort of like more modern voices in horror. Yes. You know, he's, you know, alongside like Ari Aster, Robert Eggers, Jordan Peele, Julie Ducanu, like, you know, every I'm not just going to list people off because is <laughs> about them. Um, but I think that oculus shows why how how the rest of his journey has transpired yeah, i think it's it starts off with the themes that he's really interested in that as we were talking about just touched on just before we started recording um of what what he works through in pretty much every single production yes, that he yeah. does um i think he for me as well watching Oculus, and some people probably say this is a bit of a stretch, but in all of his films, he often works with child actors or, mm-hmm. or young people, and I think so. He does that. in Oculus, so it's about uh, so Karen Gillen and and her Brent. Brother. Brent, I should use, yeah, the, Brent, I should use their character right. names. <laughs> I was yeah. like, I'm going to talk to about everybody as their um, <laughs> as their real people. So it's it's, uh, it's it's Kaylee and her brother Tim and. They're a bit grown up. They go back to the house uh, that that they that they're in when they're children, where their parents died, um, and they've got trauma about it. Tim's been uh, in what I guess is a is a uh, like a mental institution, although it's not a hundred percent clear. Um, and basically, they're the whole family is sort of like manipulated, tortured by the spooky mirrors. So it's them going back to prove it, and then all the shenanigans that happens afterwards, which is everybody dies. Um, but we get these flashbacks to the younger versions of them. And I think for a, a director with a really early piece of work, he really brings out the best in those, char- in those mm. children. And I know, think... So where I was stretching to is, he's kind of a Steven Spielberg for me, where Spielberg gets really great, you know, Spielberg loves stories about children, uh, loves single parent stories. I mean, Mike Flanagan's got a little bit of a thing about single parents as well. And, you know, and Spielberg knows how to get those performances out of children. And I think we see that in Oculus. The scenes with the children are really, really strong, almost stronger than the scenes with the, with them as the adult characters. and I just think as well, it was, I remember when I first watched it and I think I was like on a train, I used to travel to Liverpool for work and, and I have to watch stuff on trains because I get travel sick because I'm ridiculous, I'm nearly 40 and I still get travel sick. Um, And I remember watching it on a train and normally I'll be on the train I'll be like maybe falling asleep or something like that. And it didn't, I was absolutely riveted watching it the entire time. And it felt like, so when did Oculus come out? 2014? 13, 13 2013,
1: 2013.
0: Yeah. Um, I feel like it was really underappreciated at the time, and it was that real start of bringing horror back from sort of the ridiculousness or the satire, or mm. you know, or the gore. There is gore in Oculus, but it's not the main focus. It's the creeps. He loves creeps. He loves getting you all creeped out.
1: This is something I'm. I'm yeah, this is something I'm gonna. I think it's a theme, and it's it's that thing. You say about his um, you called he said a steady hand. And I think mm. that's when when you sort of hear Mike Flanagan has directed this, <clears throat> you know it's it's almost there's there's an auteurship, but it's not like a flamboyant
0: authorship. Yes, it's not great gonna, description. It's
1: not going to be sort of like a Tim Burton or a Terry Gilliam or a you know um, or, or even um, <clears throat> so I think it's sort of like the guy who um, you, know, you get you get auteurs that sort of like even when they make ground. Like the guy who did Seven, I'm trying to remember his name now, but um, David Fincher. David Fincher, thank you. Um, you know, even you know a David Fincher film, you you can see it, and you go, "That's a David Fincher film." Like, you know, it's there, and it's not say so it's a, it's particular, but with like a Mike Fienger film, it's like it's not about him, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. he he brings a sense to it. And it's done through certain things, and you say about the child actors. Like I don't think there's a, well, we'll get to it. I don't think there's any, I don't think there's any terrible child performances in any of his films, and that's that's a record because like you know most of the times you're like ugh an irritating child actor who's you know blows you know blows a line but everyone else is fine so they use that take or whatever. Um, but the other thing as well is, to me, these play like old school. Uh, ghost stories or, yes. or horror films. So, to me, this these these bring to me to mind sort of like the ghost stories of like M. R. James and E. F. Benson and those sorts of yeah. things. Which like, the, like these are the sort of films you'd you'd say this by the fireside. Do you know what I mean? I'm gonna tell you. Yes, I'll tell you a story. Absolutely. Let me tell you a story about a haunted mirror and how it ruined a family. Like that's and so when you watch it, and so the gore as well, in particular, like it's needed. Like he never shies away from it but it's not the point.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and in in particular like we'll get to there's a couple of scenes like this we'll get when we get to Gerald's game there's there's a scene that like I had to pause. Uh, yeah. <laughs> where I'm like can't do this can't do this.
0: <sighs> yeah, what, I'm what the it, same I'm good with gore but yeah, yeah. we'll get to it and I have yeah but again
1: it's not it's done in a in a sort of shocking way and it works mm. really well because it's not the point. You haven't been lambasted with loads of it. from So when it happens, you're like, oh, Jesus Christ. Um, and I think that's the point that like, he gets that in order for, for to be scared, you have to like not know when something's coming.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And he's he's very, very good at that where you're sort of sat there going like, and, you know, I, I have memories of Oculus and I haven't watched this for years. And I still have memories of Oculus where that thing I'm like, yeah, this is going to be like, you know, I don't know what's coming next. Um, I think I think of like European horror directors that, that are good mm. at it. I forget the guys. The one, the guy who did like uh, The Orphanage
0: and uh, uh, The Orphanage is so good. Um, uh, carry on talking. I'm gonna yeah. That. <laughs> and, and the, the films again. These films made me
1: think of like, the, the period piece about The Orphanage. Uh, the others, um, those sorts of st- tales, those sort of ghost tales or horror tales. And I think that's what he brings to this. Is that sort of mm. it's not flamboyant and and it's not camp as well because it doesn't need to be like I, I, I that's not to say I don't love I love camp horror like you know there's some um horror with a bit of cheese in or a bit of sort of like you know mm-hmm. overgot there is definitely a place for that and I've talked about it many a time but these are sort of like taken
0: straight faced without being po-faced do you know what I mean Absolutely, again, great description That's why you're the host Because you're, you're getting the descriptions down I'm just rambling and you're like, well actually what you mean is this And uh, you're completely right
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm glad you said so thank you. Right. You, 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 you can come back, I like you <laughs> right. um, the thing, One of the things we're going to see a trend of as well Is, the, the, the thing, not just the child actors um, Because obviously the theme we're going to see throughout this is trauma Mm-hmm. It comes back again and again like binging these over the last week or so is is, is a bit yeah
0: it's quite heavy. I ain't gonna lie. <laughs> I don't know I did the same thing I don't know why I left it to the last week and I said like, I'll just do one a day.
1: That's pretty much and an I was odd like
0: yeah. and I was like oh my God I was like what am I doing to myself? <laughs>
1: yeah it's quite upsetting by the end of it but yeah. um... <laughs> <Really upsetting>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> And I say, so, I mean, I hate I used to hate people that said that say this, but since I've had a kid as well, I am really traumatized by things that involve children. I mm. feel like they cut me a lot deeper, never used to at all, which makes me sound really heartless. Most i just be like, oh, yeah, kid's dead, whatever. Who cares? I'm like, <laughs> great. Excellent for the storytelling. Kill more children um, in films and TV, obviously in fiction. Yeah, yeah. Making that very clear. Um, and since like I've had my had my daughter, it like it really cuts deep. So then watching all of this in a week and it's constant reflections on childhood trauma. Just like Jesus Christ, I can't watch like another kids like have something really terrible happen yeah. to them. I-,
1: I wanted to sort of to dash to sort of social media to be like. I've just been watching all of Mike Flanagan's films in quick succession. Like, Mike, are you all right? Yeah. Do, do you want to talk about anything? You know, blink if you're in trouble, you know. <laughs> like, um, Yeah, it, it is this thing around trauma. But one thing I say is, is again, like he uses... There are, there are very few, when we go through these films, there's probably one or two, but there's very few stars mm-hmm. in his... Um, casting as well, you get quite again, like even at this point, like Karen Gillan now is a known commodity, like you know, she's done numerous films and you know, she's known now, but at this point, she was still pretty unknown outside of Doctor Who fandom, I suppose. Um, but when you go through that cast list of all the other films, and we'll move on into the next one in a minute, like yeah, it's just this steady pace of, um these unknown or relatively unknown but solid actors like, they're all good and i'll say why well, use them again and again but they're not like superstars and i kind of like that That then there's not that leaning into um you know mike Flanagan starring brad pitt you know sort of it sort of it helps for me that does
0: i agree and he yeah he keeps trusted people around him you know like his frequent writing collaborator is jeff howard
1: mm. and you know you
0: think by the time like uh he's getting to Mike plans getting to like gerald's game 2017 you know he's handed that a stephen king novel because they know he's going to deliver on it yeah flanagan could have gone off and done that himself but no he's like you are my trusted writer you have i mean i don't know but it feels like it's like you helped me get here i know we can get a decent story out of this together, and it's the same. It feels like the same with his actors. It's you know, it's a collaboration rather than either him being a star or somebody within it being a star. Yeah, I often feel it's interesting
1: you say about collaboration because he is. He's like he's like the front man of a like a almost like a performing troupe. Yeah, yeah, that's a great description. Like he turns up. It's like oh yeah, we have got to bring in Mike Flanagan, and then he's like he turns up and like, what? Why is there twelve of them? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know he always brings them around like you know they're I in mean, everything yeah there's only the cast has only got three people in it but <laughs> yeah. we'll see um but yeah it is but but it's not like to me it's not like there's nepotism as well you know you, you get this you know i feel i think of like uh, paul B. and and you know Mia Djokovic and there are others where that happens rob zombie and and mm-hmm. you know, his wife where you, like, you see them appearing again and again and you, know, you think, oh, that's just because you're husband and wife and you can do that, and you think like, oh, that feels like nepotism. This doesn't feel like him giving his friends and, and a hand up, is it? It feels like he's going, oh, I like working with these people, they're good at what they do, and I can use them in, in this way. Mm. And it feels like, like you say, it's more like a trusted team than, than any form of nepotism, which um, you know, definitely helps.
0: Um. And I think we see that as well with his wife Kate Siegel, who's in now all of his stuff, and mm. the first time, I think the first time we see them together is Hush, Yes. and when I see people being, you know, about the TV shows, because it's, it's his Netflix TV shows that's made him a lot more mainstream, which is fantastic because I think more people are discovering his work. But, you know, I've seen criticisms on Twitter, of course, being like, oh, he's just casting, casting her because it's his wife. And I, and I feel like being like, go back and watch Hush and watch her carry that entire film. And they collaborated on it, they, they wrote it together, they worked it, they acted out scenes in their own house and stuff like that. But, you know, when we get to Man, Manor, we'll talk about some of the performances in that. But yeah. in general, you know, when you see Kate Siegel specifically in Hush, you like she has got something, and yeah, I'm sure she had advantage of getting the role because they're married and they're acting out together. But she doesn't let anybody down in what she does yeah, with the role.
1: Let's talk about Hush, though. Let's move on to Hush because Hush is interesting. I I am in two minds about Hush because I think it's a very well performed tense thriller. Um, I think you know there's there's some inf- incredibly well done scenes. Um, also, though, by about halfway through, her being deaf has no bearing on the plot. <laughs> it just becomes like a normal thriller, and I I, so I I I actually like probably the first half better than the second half.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think Hush is a fantastic film. I think. There's something really special about it in the way that it's shot, the way that it's written, the way it's performed, the way the sound is. And I feel like it is for the first two thirds. I feel yeah. like those first yes. two thirds are one of the best modern horror films we've had. Um, and there's just things that are so well done, so chilling, so So she's deaf, she's in her house in the forest. Why do people keep on living in forests? Um, And and the, the murderer comes along, she can't hear that he's there. And she writes on the window, I haven't seen your face. And now, like it's you know you have seen it in other things you see it in the strangers when Mm. when she's like you know why did you why did you do this and I think they take their masks or whatever but we as the audience don't see their face and they're like oh because you were home and it's sort it's it's that same sort of thing but it's so effective when he just stands at the window and just takes it off and then you just know you know you're in like I mean we, we I don't think you do know that she's going to survive to the end. Spoilers, because there are so many films where the protagonist doesn't, but you know there's at least going to be a lot going on until you get to that point. And for me, that's both one of the best bits in the film, but that's the precursor to it getting weaker later on because it just becomes... It's really strong cat and mouse. He does that. You're like, ah, this is amazing. But then it's got nowhere else to go after they do... Half an hour of cat and mouse stuff. Yeah, the one thing is,
1: it, it made me think of because, <clears throat> I say, the cat and mouse stuff is really good. Mm. And like you say, some some of the scenes, um, the guy who plays the killer, um, you know, he he's actually really good. Like he, he's, yeah, he's great, isn't he? He's he's proper menacing. The bit where he sort of plays he pretends to be a you know policeman for the, yeah. for the neighbor, and all that. And it's I love the fact that it's so calculated. He's like, oh, you're too, you're a jerk. I could, yeah, I couldn't win that fight, so I had to trick you. And then I'm going to cut you, you know, cut the back of your leg and I'm going to stab you in the throat. Like, it's it's all this calculation, which is incredibly terrifying. But what I was thinking about was, um, what's the one recently with the guy who's blind uh, when they break into his house? Oh. Um. um. I can't remember what it's called, but I made me think of that. Because yes. when you are blind and you have sort of, you know, you know, this this person is blind, and then the, the intruders they obviously come across um what he has in his basement, but the, the thing is he turns the lights off, and so him being blind pays into don't that breathe. Because, pardon?
0: Don't breathe. Is it don't, don't breathe. breathe? That's the one. Yes. That's Sorry right. to interrupt
1: you. That's so no. carry on. That's no, you're right. Yeah. So in that, that's the point and that plays into it because the idea is like. He's, blind, so he's relying on those senses that he's used to using that the intruders um, can't use. And so in this, I was like, okay, how is that going to play in? Like he, her being deaf and mute has to end up at least becoming an advantage in some way. And when they do have that thing with the fire alarm, mm. where it's really, really loud because you have to feel the vibrations and it sort of flashes. It lasts like a couple of seconds and doesn't really help a great deal. Like that's not the reason she sort of survives. And so it, it, yeah, it felt like they've gone, we've done this. And you go, oh, right. What else are you going to do? And that, like I say, it falls into the tropes then of just being like an invasion, a home invasion thriller. Um, and I did. I think the, I thought that was quite sad that you're like, oh, for, the, for how well you started this and everything you've set up, you don't pay it off enough at the end.
0: Yeah, I agree. And you're so right. The setup's great, like with the neighbour coming over and signing, putting the phone in her back pocket, uh, the the alarm, her trying to cook, you know, because in, in lesser hands, she wouldn't be cooking dinner that burns, you know, she wouldn't mm. be there on her iPad looking at a the recipe. There would be a, an annoying exposition line of dialogue you know the way they use technology in the beginning you know she's talking to her sister and her sister sees him in the background and all of you know all of that sort of set up but you know and she's a writer and she has the voice in her head so when she writes at, you know she writes at the end this is who he is this is what he looks like in case she does like all of that's so clever mm-hmm. but in, and it's also and, and it's like it's like they thought so we've got this great setup at the beginning this is how we end it with all this setup, you know, I mean, it's not back to the future style setups. It's not that great, but it's pretty yeah. damn good. Yeah, yeah. Um, But then there's just that sort of, what is it? It's like 25 minutes, 30 minutes where you're just like, where is this going? And you're like, yeah. I know she's going to use the fire alarm. Let's incorporate that a little bit more. Mm. Well, yeah. Have it as a trap,
1: like go a little bit alone. Yeah. Like, you know, use yeah. it. do something that <laughs> would have been, um, but again, yeah, it, it does feel like that last twenty minutes, twenty-five minutes feels a little bit like they weren't sure, and so they throw a bunch of stuff in. Like there's a moment where she tries to run out the door and she gets caught and killed, and then she runs through um, these scenarios, and you then you, <clears throat> and basically what you're supposed to go is, oh yeah, at the very beginning there was a drop line about the fact she's got seven endings, and you go, right, that could have been hammered home more. Like you know, uh, th- this always happens to me. I can always, you know, I'm, I always end up with multiple outcomes. Like there could, th- th- it needed to be emphasised for that to become a point. And there's just a little bit of that. It's, got, it, it, but it, but like I say, it's it's so 50 that there's other bars that are brilliant mm. uh, and so well set up uh, and filmed incredibly well. But like, yeah, it it left me feeling a little bit disappointed. I mm. would say. Mm.
0: Yeah, I mean, I very much try to pretend that. Mm it doesn't really happen yeah. <laughs> so I could be like this feels amazing because I genuinely do think it's amazing I think again it's when we start talking about Dr Sleep I think when he's given limitations that's when he works really well that's when his camera works is the best mm-hmm. you know he's following he's following her character around and it's and it's creating that sense of you're enclosed with her all of that sort of stuff and it is funny enough when they go outside of the house that the that the film is at its weakest you know and um and I sort of I love the idea that the killer's got this crossbow like he's he's hunting it's a game for him all of this sort of thing but then of course that doesn't work in the house setting so they've got to move it outside so it's just like a few little tweaks like if he just liked killing people with a knife, you know, maybe it could have just been that little bit stronger. But overall, I think the performances are amazing. I think the direction's really strong. Apart from that section, the storytelling's really strong. And again, it's for me, you can see why... Because this I think Hush went on Netflix. It landed on Netflix, Mm -hmm. didn't it? It Mm. wasn't released anywhere It was a Netflix film, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can see why people are coming across his films and going, okay, I'm going to give you this film, I'm going to give you that film, I'm going to fund you for that film. Because there's just something there that he's trying to bring out, which I don't think he brings out until his TV shows, because I think for films, I think he needs limitations. <laughs> for TV shows, I think he needs he needs lots of episodes, <laughs> yeah. although, well, lim- think- although not too many. I know, I and, think- but I, I think it's all just that genesis of that. I
1: think one of the things and I think Hush is a good example of this is the guy clearly thinks in he thinks in episodes. Mm, I mean, when that's we get point. when we get to Doctor Sleep, mm. <laughs> like he <it> literally <laughs> has chapters,
0: mm.
1: um, and you sort of see it in a lot of these films. we'll, you know, we'll talk Hush, and we'll talk before Awake in a minute, um, and also Weegee Origin of Evil. Like the films, um, many of them are three act structures but like you can the, the divisions in those those acts is so clear of like you know this is the end of act 1 like if this was a tv show that's the end of the first episode
0: mm. that's
1: the end of the second episode like you you can see that um, throughout and i think you know you can see the genesis of that um, even in hush but you know it's mm. very well the sister seeing him over the shoulder and that sort of thing. Like, okay, there you go, episode one, sort of, you know, that sort of thing.
0: Oh, yeah, you're totally right. That would be the end of episode one, wouldn't it? That would yeah. be the credits. Yes, you're
1: um, right. And, there's the, and so I see that as I go through this. Um, it's not a bad thing because he it obviously, he obviously played out to become a, some fantastic shows, which we'll talk about in the next episode. <laughs> but um, one of the things I would say is he then needs, like you said, that limitation. Because he can do that division of story, but then, like I say, when it starts to free like it's, it feels a little bit like he struggles to rein it in.
0: Yeah, Bly um, manner, everyone <laughs> in terms of TV shows, Bly manner. Yeah. Well,
1: if we move on to before I wake as well. Oh yes,
0: Go um, on, you uh, start with you start well, with
1: before just, I wake. Just a note, because obviously Hush was on Netflix, and it's clearly that one of the reasons he got given everything else. Yep, but but hush before I wake and Ouija Origin of Evil all 2016. Like, so what year. it's mad,
0: isn't it? I didn't yeah. realize until I was like making notes for this, and I was just like, that is crazy.
1: Yeah. Although, yeah. I just saw it. And I was like, oh god, these guys are busy, busy, busy guy. Um, before I wake, I love this film. Do <laughs> like, you? Yeah, um, because I'm a sucker for uh, what I like to call horror procedurals. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm.
1: You know, those things when um, the, the, the the haunting or the possession Or something happens And then somebody starts investigating Like we're going to the library We're going to see the microfiche And all that kind of stuff Like <laughs> I, lo- I love all that kind of stuff And this film has that sort of touch of mm. that Which I kind of like Um, But also the other thing I spotted in this Is like this to me Felt like, again Um this knowing where we're going with Doctor Sleep and stuff, this felt like a precursor for a Stephen King story. Yes. But I literally thought, like the little boy in this, I was like, "Is he got the shine?"
0: <laughs> yeah, totally.
1: <laughs> Does Cody have the shine? Um, and I, I just, I just really enjoyed it. Like again, talking about trauma. Like this is, you know, this is about a couple that have lost their, lost their son. And I like the fact that there's, a, there's, there's the tension in this film as well between the husband and wife. Like, there's a clear mm. understanding of, like, this, the boy drowned in the tub. He, he, he drowns in the bathtub. And the wife never saw it, but she has these sort of, like, flashes of what would have happened. And so they've put, they have like, they put on a, a bar on the side of the, the wall. And then she's thinking back to, like, well, he didn't have that before. And so they were just panning up the wet walls and was able to get out of the bath. And then so, and she obviously makes a comment about you're not taking this one away from me as well. Later on, so she clearly has this underlying thing of like blaming her husband and so. So th- there's just these moments in this one. I was like, he plays that tension out really well. Um, but yeah, and, and again, the, the kid's actually good in this. Uh, mm. The lad who plays Cody, you know, he's not, no, irritating. You know, in when, when he's scared, he's playing. And also the thing as well, the uh, the the creature in this. Um, the Canker Man. The Canker Man. A great design. Like, like
0: ridiculously
1: creepy. Simple, but really creepy and well done. Uh, we'll talk about the butterflies, that, that the glowing butterflies that become its eyes, which I was like, go on, please do that. And when they do it, I was like, yes. It's such a <laughs> great effect. I, I, I so wanted that. What were your thoughts on Before I Wake? You
0: know? So, when I first watched Before I Wake, Probably probably when it first came out on Netflix, I did not like it. Mm-hmm. And I can't really recall why. I just know I looked back at my Letterboxd uh, account and was like, oh, I didn't really like that film, which I was surprised at because the second time I watched it last week, I really, really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really, I think towards the end, it drives things home a bit too much. It overexplains explains things. But overall, I think it's such a strange film, but in mm-hmm. a good way such a strange film in a way that I could not stop watching it. You know, I, I, and the time went so quickly. I think that there are so many quietly horrifying moments in it. Yeah. The bathtub that you talked about is hugely traumatic. And then when you see the, the dad, so Thomas Jane, but the character is called Mark fixing those hands like it's actually chilling when he's doing that that they're in the same house that same bathtub and they're fixing handles because they're going to have a child come to live with them cuz they, they adopt him they adopt Cody um and i think kate bosworth When she's in the hands of a good director, she really delivers, especially in the first half of this film, yeah, you truly believe... She is not Kate Bosworth at all. No. And you truly believe her trauma and how she's feeling and how she's desperate to connect. And when she's playing the scenes where she's getting Cody to sleep to bring her dead son... Yeah. Yes, yeah, back. I mean, she... Her character's absolutely awful... those scenes and she plays it as that she doesn't she doesn't play it for any sympathy she doesn't you know she plays it as somebody who is basically abusing this child to to bring back and I just think her performance is absolutely fantastic in it and I think it's so interesting that I used to love Blue Crush, which is a film she was in. She plays a surfer. In fact, I still love Blue Crush. I should probably do it for Femme on film because I think it's great. Um, you know, I thought she was fantastic in that, but everything else she has been quite mediocre. And then you watch this and you're just like, she needs to be in the hands of a good director, which I think shows what a good direction storyteller he is. Um, you know, We've got the same overarching themes, death, family trauma. <laughs> Seriously, you are right. We need to check he's okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And again, so so Cody's played by Jacob Tremblay, who's in mm. Room with Brie Larson, and you know, and I think he really could, with what happens to his character, teeter on being annoying. Yeah. he falls asleep. He has the butterflies. You know, he's all like, "Oh, I'm just nobody loves me, and I'm all lonely and weird, and all of that sort of stuff." But again, he's got a pitch perfect performance. <laughs> Yeah, he he's
1: fantastic. In it. You, you're right. I mean, you know, Thomas Jane's Thomas Jane. He's sort of like you know, yeah. he's, he's very much of a muchness in this film. Yeah. Um, you know, fine. Um, but you're right, Kate Bosworth. A, I was surprised about exactly what you said. That the first up to a point, like the first sort of two thirds of this film is about her being an abusive parent. Like she's mm. a foster parent, but like it's not physical abuse. But she's literally sort of like. You know drugging it, it, him drugging him to put him to sleep so that he can project like his, he has this ability when he dreams he projects his dreams into the real world and at one point like he mm. has seen their dead son in a photograph and so of a portrait and so he's able to present him and so that when she shows like you say that the, the moment she takes out the DVD to show him the christmas thing like it made me like wince because i'm like, like thomas jane says like he says he says it's a beauty felt wrong it still feels wrong you know i'm going like yeah no that's clearly the point like <laughs> it, she's she's feeding him information like she wants to relive that christmas and it's, it's heartbreaking what's worse though from a heartbreaking, movie, is, is is the kid um what his name was it jacob trembly there are two scenes in this that like again I've, I've had to pause at horror, but there was a scene in this in particular where I had to pause it because it sort of hit me a little bit because I was like, it's a kid actor doing this. The first time, um, the, the I can't remember with Sean or whatever the Luke, or whatever the, the the dead son is called. When he feels like he comes, he wakes up and then he comes out and just says, I'm sorry. Like, there's not like you know, he doesn't go the full, um, you know, Jake Lloyd or like that. I'm sorry, he just says, it, he's, just, he's like, I'm sorry. And then he walks into the kitchen and gets himself an energy drink and goes back to bed. Yeah. And you're just like, he knows. Like, this kid's got, like, I can't go back to sleep. I'm hurting people. And it's just like the, the, the weight on this kid's shoulders is like, he plays it. Um, and there's other bits like that. And it's just, it, it's just, but that scene in particular, when he just walks in and they're watching him and he walks back out again, it's like, um, is, yeah, it's so well done. Um, that it is, it's heartbreaking to see. Mm. Um, but you say about the the, the 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 small horrors, the little those little bits. So you get the you get the typical things. You're going to get the the canker man, uh, children's who eyes have gone, and all that kind of stuff. That that's all sort of atypical horror, should we say? But the one scene when you hear about, because obviously the little boy um, uh, Cody has moved from family to family, and the film opens with. Uh, a, a previous family, uh, Dash Mihok, playing a who that his wife had gone missing, and he had, he's running around the house with a gun, and it sort of suggested sort of like you know he may have opened fire on Cody before the police got there, um, and he's in he's in sort of an institution, and when he tells the story, <sighs> the canker man obviously took his wife, but he can bring her back, but because he was so young, she wasn't right. And he's hugging her and it pans back and you get this like
0: mannequin-faced thing. Oh, God. Terrifying. You know how I feel about dolls and yeah. things like dolls? And I'm just like, because I forgot about that. And I was like, holy shit. I was <laughs> like, why did I not remember this hugely traumatic yeah. <laughs> bit where this man is basically hugging, like you said, a mannequin? Yeah. It's like, oh, my God. But it, but he
1: admits it, doesn't he? Because he, he says mm. like he says he couldn't. He was too young. He couldn't remember her properly. Which is, but I hated him for that. Like, and so this film, this film is about grief. I mean, this film is mm. all about grief and the way we, they deal with it. The way different people deal with it. Again, how the Thomas Jane character sort of like isn't. He isn't better. Like he hasn't forgotten, but he is dealing with it in a different way and wants to move on, and she can't. Like she's trapped, and so. Uh, yeah it it just explores these things and i was like i wasn't expecting this to sort of affect me in this way mm. as a, you know as a horror procedural does um however let like you say the end in the last 15 minutes or so
0: Messy. Does, yeah
1: yeah um and the reveal of who the canker man is and stuff is a bit like okay like yeah it's a bit <laughs> rote
0: yeah all right yeah and it and and it gets to i have the same feeling in gerald's game when it comes to the midnight man in gerald's game i'm like oh yeah yeah, we've seen this we've seen this so like i understand why they handed him gerald's game because we basically see this in before i wake but it's like oh yeah yeah
1: well gerald's game we'll get, we'll get is almost a combination of hush and before i wake is yeah it? it's, it's very yeah. much those two things um but yeah i did enjoy before i wake i think again i think it's a um some of the some of the emotional drama scenes are just handled incredibly well.
0: And I think you you've uh touched on some of the most, the most powerful things is you talk about Thomas Jane's character. And you know, I think Poor I Wake is actually a look at parenthood, isn't it? And mm. you know, Thomas Jane, they both want to be parents, so. The the Kate Bosworth called Jesse, Thomas Jane's called Mark, and they both want to be parents. But Jesse wants to be a parent to her dead son, yeah. and Mark wants to be a parent to a new child, We're not forgetting his dead son. But you know he sees the joy in parenting. That's he's you know the Thomas Jane is Thomas Jane. Yeah. <laughs> you know he is who he is. Um, but the scene where he says to Cody, "Let's take a day off." and you know and they bond they are actually really good scenes and Mm. really powerful for quite generic scenes in a film about parent you know about parenting but you actually get a real sense of then when uh mark gets eaten by the canker man why that's so traumatic for cody and then you get the other side you get jesse who she she wants to be a parent but not you know does she really want to be a parent to Cody when they're at the agency and fostering, they say they found you a parent. Mark's initially seems quite standoffish about it. He seems Mm -hmm. a bit more hesitant, but it's then when they, when Cody comes to their home, you see Mark being an active parent and you see Jesse almost as being a parent for the sake of it. And that's why I think it's so easy for her character to then manipulate Cody into dreaming about their dead son and I think that's so interesting because we'd often see that the other way it would be you know I think we'd often see the Jessie character being like I want to be a mum to a new child because I want to be a mum and I'm a great parent but actually that's really not what she wants no and it makes her not fully likable and I like that yeah I
1: agree it's quite brave to have her as the protagonist Mm. not
0: to, to, to spend
1: an awful lot of the film as an unlikable character uh doing this to the child and then she gets her realization when she reads the journal at the end. she has the realization and she's sort of okay did you realize it's like yeah i've been a complete knob about this like i've yeah. been <laughs> um and then she goes and takes it but like but one what, what of the things i like you said the ending is messy because there's this there's this notion of he can project things into the world when he's dreaming and he's obviously drugged at the end. And so you get this whole thing and there's this butterfly motif and there's all these chrysalises or cocoons on the wall, but they don't seem to mean anything. Like mm. why, why are they in cocoons? Like who's done this? Why does it happened Like, it's just, it's like, it just feels like a visual flourish. They wanted to do something mm-hmm. that was gross. However, up until that point, like the dreamings have felt um like dreams for the most part. Like, you know, we don't dream in sequence. We don't dream in, it's scattershot and this other sort of thing. However, the connection between the butterflies and the, the, the colored lights on the Christmas tree, like great idea, really mm. effective, looks amazing. And the butterflies mm. are also a really good effect. So again, flashes of brilliance in this. Um, but yeah, it's the endings again, which I think when we get to the Stephen King stuff, like, you know, we all know Stephen King can write a great book, can't end one for shit, but yeah, <laughs> and we'll, we will get to that. Um, yeah, I, I I think before I wake is a, it's actually a really good film. I think there's mm. so much. It was it was more affecting than I expected it to be, mm. um, and further sort of like hammered home. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is actually, this guy. This, this, but basically, I was thinking this guy is a great director. That's yeah. all I keep thinking. Like you know, he's a, he's a, he's a really good director. But I don't want him to have a massive budget. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, I don't want this guy to be like. Right, he's now got Mike Flanagan's now going to do the next Marvel film. Like, I don't want Ooh, him to do that. No. I don't want him to be doing. You mentioned like Ari Aster. Like, yeah, give this guy a limited budget and said, like, yeah, you can do an A twenty four film. Like, do something weird. Like, you know. Yes. I'd, I'd all be all for that. Any final thoughts on before I wake? No, nope, I think we've covered everything. Okay. Ouija, Origin of Evil. Yeah. First thing to mention about this, this is a sequel to a shitty film.
0: Yep, to a really, really shitty film.
1: Yeah, the first one is Dreadful.
0: Um, oh, so bad.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, I think uh, I saw in the cinema. A really? <laughs> I think so. I can't remember. I meant to message my friends before... Before I spoke to you, and I forgot because she and I used to go and see like every horror film possible in the cinema. And I think we went to see it in the cinema, and it's so bad. <laughs> so I paid actual money.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I, I remember seeing. The, so t- twenty fourteen is is Ouija, and twenty sixteen was Ouija: Origin of Evil. Now I don't know the the different the the, the stuff behind this, but when you look at them, so like well, let's, let me just double check. So Ouija, the original. Uh, this is IMDb. Is 4.5, which is I a mean, pretty,
0: yeah, too high.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I, I agree. There's some people on there being very generous. Um, Ouija Origins of Evil is 6.2. So, if ever there's a wow, question, is that all? yeah, hmm. well, that's pretty good for an IMDb because you always get those mm. people that sort of like bring it one star because I'm like, you
0: know, I didn't like this one thing, so it's one yeah. star, like Amazon reviews,
1: yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know why this, why the first one got a sequel. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Um, so I, I, I'm actually going to check. So the reason, the only reason I think this got a sequel, is it was written by um, Mike Flanagan and Jeff Howard. Is they went, we want to write this film. I think it would work in this way. Or even like, mm. we saw Ouija. It was shit. We can do better. <laughs> um,
0: but again, so I know the answer. Do you tell me? Tell <laughs> yes, me, tell I me. do. So Flanagan was brought in to direct some reshoots for Ouija. right? Um, and so it's a it's a Blumhouse film, isn't it? Yeah, of course it is. Um, and basically, they were just sort of like Blumhouse. Jason 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 Blum mm-hmm. um, said, "Do you want to do a follow up? But it needs to be different from the original because yeah. like the original is so to be shit. good." Yeah, I presume he used slightly different words, um, and because uh, because Flanagan's stated that he is not a like he's not a sequel man, he's not a franchise man, no. um, which is fair enough. And basically, they let Sorry, him...
1: he's not a sequel man. This is the first two sequels we're going to talk yeah, about. Yeah, I know. Right?
0: <laughs> but um, <laughs> but they let him do it how he wanted to, and of course, mm. Flanagan was like, "I want it to be about a family." family dynamics family trauma (laughs) again I really hope he has a therapist um (laughs) maybe this is his therapy yeah yeah maybe and he was like I don't want it to have anything to do with the original we'll put references in it because obviously it's the same franchise but don't want anything to do with the original and I think I can't remember I can check my notes I think that is where sort of the the 60s, 70s 67 started coming. Is it 67? Yeah. So that's that where that setting started to come in to like really disassociate it, yeah. give it its own look and feel, um, which he massively leans into, which I love. Um and so that's why it feels so different because he's literally like, I'll make a film, but I'm not making that part of shit.
1: Yeah. Well <laughs> I think the I like say the idea first it being a prequel sets him free. Because you're basically... You're back to the bare bones of... Okay, well, here's the... Um, here are the franchise trappings that you've got to you know, include. It's so got to have a Ouija board, and you've got to be able to see the ghosts through the lens on the Ouija board. That's about it.
0: <laughs>
1: as long as that appears in this film, like, we're happy, go do what you want. <clears throat> and you're right. And one of the things... We've talked about, it and this is one of the reasons I think you know it, it's. I wanted to. It's, it's great to talk to you about it. <clears throat> um, we haven't talked about, um, apart from Thomas Jane being Thomas Jane, we haven't really talked about a male protagonist. No, that's true. Um, you know, Karen Gillen is the is the driving force yeah. in, in uh, Oculus. Uh, as you say, his wife uh, Kate Siegel is the driving force in Hush. Uh, Kate Bosworth in uh, Before Awake, and in this you get the, the, the family. Um, you know, another uh, alum starts here: Elizabeth Riser, <laughs> Lulu Wilson, and and, and um, Annalise Basso. Um, and we'll see some of those again, especially sort of uh, Elizabeth Riser and, and Lulu Wilson. Uh, weirdly, I think the, uh, Lulu Wilson plays the younger version of the character that Elizabeth Riser plays in. Yes. Um, so that's cool. But I love the fact that this family covers, you can't do three generations. They're not going to do grandparents or whatever, but you get a mother and then you get like a teenage daughter, you know, slightly older teenage daughter, and then this prepubescent sort of like uh, young girl. And so you get these sort of like this perspectives of grief and association, like the father has died and how are they dealing with it and how are they going to process and, and keep going. So I, I liked again this thing of, you get perspectives. You've got the family drama, as you say, but the way they seem to deal with, it, although there's a supernatural element, like everything sort of feels authentic, mm-hmm. um, and, and it feels so. Sort of, again, I like that authenticity that he seems to bring to them. Um, but yeah, this in particular, I want to I want to shout out for Lulu Wilson because she's one of these young actresses that. I'd seen this, and then uh, another film I actually really enjoy, um, which is definitely is uh, Annabelle Creation. Yes, yes, the one, the one set in the the orphanage, in, yeah. in the fit of it, and she is great in both of these. For you know, so so composed as a young actress, so confident, um, and so yeah, she, she's a bit of a standout for me in that in, in that film, but in this film as well. Um, and again, like there's that thing as you said about you know. Um, him getting a great performance of a child actor because this could have been irritating child at the end of the story and just like switch off and i'm not interested so um i, I do think I, I legitimately think she gives a great performance in parts of this
0: the little smile she does when she's all evil and possessed are yeah. like genuinely good like it's not hammy which you would expect from a child actor it's like she's she's so, you know, she's so good. at She's a mixture of smart, creepy, super creepy, mm. um, you know, that, that annoying thing that we always have kids in films doing, which has been a bit more intelligent than their age, but she doesn't do that in an annoying way. But there's also innocence that she's also really innocent. The scene or the scenes leading up to when she looks in the mirror and her neck's hurting, you know, so good she doesn't play it with an ounce of knowing you know obviously she knows she knows the script she's an actor yeah she she plays it as if she is there in that moment she's she i agree she's absolutely brilliant absolutely
1: brilliant again like you say the range because i say the the scenes i think about is horror versus drama there's a a scene when she's sort of praying and her mum sat on the bed and she says about praying to daddy she's not praying to daddy why don't you pray to god she's like no because i want to talk to my dad yeah and and you say about that innocence, that sort of child mentality, and she pulls it off, and you do think of her as a child, mm. and then like you say two scenes later on, she's sort of dealing with the Ouija board and, and you know being possessed. It's 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 so well. She yeah, she just carries that incredibly well. Um <clears throat> but then again, like, Elizabeth Roy's I think is great in this, and oh, she's so good. The fact that she's trying to keep this family um, you know, on track and all that sort of thing. So when she when it when she um Doris is is, is the Lily Wilson character when she is possessed and she's using the Ouija board and she's, they're doing the um, sessions or the séances or whatever. Like and she's keeping her in from school. Like, like yeah, she just wants to pay her bleeding rent. Like that's mm. you know it's sort of like it makes sense. It's like okay, we can make money doing this. We've got to do it to keep the family going, sort of thing. Like it's not Kate Bosworth manipulative. It feels like a desperation. Like well, we can do this. Um, but, yeah, no, I think all that works. One of the things I would say, I'd ask, because this film opens with a sceptical view, obviously sets you up. Um, you get your cameo from, uh, what's it, Seagull?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, at the beginning. Um, but, obviously, she's a fraud at the beginning. And I love all that, when it sort of reveals how they all work. It's fantastically That's well done.
0: directed so well. It's yes. It's really... <laughs> It's got really snappy pacing on it. And, and then the characters are talking over it, but you don't lose anything in that, like, in lesser hands. It would be really messy, but it's really great. Oh, I'll get back
1: to that, because that's a really good point. Sorry, yeah. but, no, no, you're <laughs> right, because it a point to return to. But one of the things is, is this film has this... Um, this film aims for a morality... <laughs> Um, and what I like to the, what I like about this film is it's, it aims to have a morality but then pulls the rug out from under you at the end because you have this idea of yes they're doing these seances or these sessions which we find out are fraudulent but they' doing she keeps saying but we're doing them for the right reason, we're trying to give people hope. we're trying to give them this sort of, um, a way of talking to the people in the, you know beyond the grave or whatever. And so you expect that that morality, will translate as it goes through the film and something will happen that will be like, well, they're all going to be saved because they're actually sort of like, you know, yeah, they, they might be doing this, but they're moral characters. So when it all goes pear shaped to the end, like right up until the end, I was a bit like, Oh, actually, wow. That's a, uh, yeah, that's a bit of a surprise. That was, I was a bit, the, 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 this is the, the first film. where again, the end the last 20 minutes, 15, 20 minutes, is no to say 20 minutes. A lot happens, but it's it feels tighter than his previous mm. films.
0: Mm. I don't
1: know yeah. what were your thoughts on, on that.
0: I completely agree. I really, really like this film. I remember the first time I watched it again, Netflix. Mm. And I was just like, this film is so much better than it has any right to be, yeah. basing it on <laughs> the original film. And I think it's You know, you you talked about so many things that I think are interesting about this film, you know. Elizabeth Rice's character, she's just trying to survive. She's in a society where her husband's died, she's been left no money, she can't find a job, and yet she's completely ostracised from society for trying to make money to feed her children, stay in the house that they, you know, they grew up in. Mm. So it shows that side, that, You know that side of how women are completely undervalued, and especially, you know, especially back then, you know, what we don't know if she had a job beforehand, but as far as we know, she was a mother and a housewife, and that was it. And and her husband was bringing in the money, and then he dies, and there's absolutely nothing for her. There's no safety net, and so she's just trying to do the best thing she can. She potentially moralizes it herself by saying, "Giving people closure," but at the same time, we see that when she thinks she can talk to her dead husband she is getting closure Mm. so it loops back around on itself you know it's 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 at the beginning it's like she's justifying it to herself but then she's she's proven correct that she her justifications for herself because it is bringing her closure until she realizes it's all a lie and it's all this horrific traumatic stuff yeah um and I think this is one of his strongest lead performances as well in his films. I think I think Elizabeth Risett is such an amazing actress and I think this film shows it. She's so multi-layered. When it gets to the end and Doris is in the weird Nazi survivor yeah. torture surgery room <laughs> and she stood there and you can tell she's like, I should go in after my daughter. I'm really fucking not going after my daughter. Yeah. Like she's like, I am not going. And I think, and she delivers that without saying those words. It's all in her face and all in how she holds her body. And I just think that's fantastic. Again, all the actors in this, they clearly trust him because they are bringing so much more to what is a franchise. It, it, I mean, it is a prequel, but a uh, sequel than they should be, right? They yeah. really, you know, they've. Oh. He's sort all of said, I'm doing it. And they're like, okay, I trust you. And then they've read it and gone, okay, I'm on board. And also we're just going to forget about, you know, we are not in a sequel of a shitty film. We are yeah. in a film that's on its own and it's good. And that's amazing.
1: As you say, this could have been a fluff piece. This should, this, this this has the right to be throwaway mm. camp. I mean, that, again, this is that thing around sort of like, you know, this could lean into the sort of like the spookums of it all and do all that kind of mm. stuff. And he, he doesn't want to do that. And I think, you know, then it comes to that the ending, of the ending of this. Is like a proper haunted house. Yeah.
0: Um.
1: You, you, you on every layer because you go from the basement. You know. Then you got the the, the poor lad who gets hung on the stairway and oh. his attack and um and you 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 know the dead coming out the walls and stuff. <clears throat> and then there's there's is she in a sack um. Trying at the end of it. No, there's there's a yeah because she dies, doesn't she? That's that's the point. Yeah.
0: Right? And yeah. so you know,
1: and all the all that's left is the the older the older sister. Teenage sister. Um, but it's, it's the, the end of the ending of this, like I say, it keeps, like I say, it's a haunted house because it's thrill after thrill. It keeps pushing you. And again, because we're so set up to think there's going to be some release, there's going to be, mm. you know, the use of the Ouija board, like, you know, is going to help them escape this or there's going to be some payoff. Like, no, 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 this is like, it just gets worse.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then they, I love that he forgets about the Ouija board. I love that. And I didn't mm. realize until this viewing that the, the Ouija board's the MacGuffin, basically, yeah. because and and the elder daughter Lena, she says it. So they're up in the room, it's it's Lena the priest, um, good old Henry Thomas mm. and um and the mum. And she says the house has been listening this whole time. Yeah. All that's happened is there's been so, and something that's allowed the house and the demons and the ghosts in the house to manipulate us but they've always been here and that's when i realized it's like we've not seen the ouija board for a long time in a film that's supposed to be about yeah. the ouija board and that's great storytelling that i didn't even realize and it's only on like my third viewing that i realized that and it's and i think that's why it's really good what you've talked about that tension release, you know you know how i love tension release and horror films mm. it's one of my favorite things about it and at times I don't know if you get any release in this film. And I find this film, especially my most recent watch, actually scary.
1: Yeah, oh, I agree. I think this film is, is, is one of the few that obviously is legit. I love this film. And you say about the release, there is no release. At the end of this film, they don't... <laughs> We're it, just it, crying it, in a corner. <laughs> yeah, it's like the blue balls of horror, this film. Because <laughs> you, you're right, Like there's no... Because it, it, it just sort of escalates and escalates. And then the payoff um you, you know again like even with the payoff the way it's done um is not apart from the very last shot which i'd probably mm. say is i could have done without yeah um but even like say the the daughter sort of the 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 elder daughter survives um but she's obviously clearly traumatized and you go through that sort of interview and she's like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I should tell you about my mother. And she tells this story and it's sort of like, you know, they're dead or they're missing. Like, where, where are they? Like what happened? And so you sort of let to believe that you, even as a viewer, you're not a hundred percent sure what happened at that point in the house. I mean, this is the kind of thing that Amityville should be.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but when she's in the institution and the doctors walking about, so the doctor's exasperated with it. Like, oh, you know, fuck off, back to your room. <laughs> when he walks past her and they both sat on the bed and he stops, oh, I love it. And he walks past and she stood at the doorway with her face in the glass. Um, that bit is insanely creepy. Yeah. Um, but then to have Doris come across on the ceiling, I'm um, like, oh, you you you've you've gone into sort of like cheap scares a little bit there. You, I could have done without that.
0: Yeah, I wish they'd just stopped there and just had him look back away, and walk down the corridor. No Doris. Yeah. Because seeing her on the bed and Was then enough. Lena yeah, enough, and then Lena being at the window is fucking yeah. creepy enough. And oh, we it don't is. need that last jump scare. No. And you know, and I feel like jump scares are not Mike Flanagan's thing either. I feel like you know, he uses them very rarely and very effectively. So it's annoying to have it at the end of this film. Yeah. And the and the stuff when she's talking to the doctor is very reminiscent of Oculus as well. Mm-hmm. So um, when, the, when the brothers in, well, when he comes out of wherever he is and he's saying, oh, you know, my doctor told me it's all this thing. It's my brain putting things together. It's not real, etc." It's like he's built on that idea yeah. but made it more impactful in a much shorter scene. Yes. Oh, it's a brilliant little scene.
1: I mean, one of the things, the other scenes I just, I liked or the, the touches I liked um, because it's sort of, um the way it's handled is is when you see that she's obviously been possessed and she's uh, the the Doris is writing. Mm. She's not looking, she's not looking, but it's in Polish. Uh, And then when they get it translated and it's like, um, yeah, it's not just the story of what happened to them when they were alive. Like this goes on beyond that. (laughs) Like this is now telling the story, like they're continuing their story of what it is to be dead. And that to me, I was like, Oh, that's wow. horrifying I, yeah you know
0: <laughs> and he goes and he goes oh a nun translated it and she got very upset i'm like too fucking right she did yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. when she got like, an eight-year-old write this you like, yeah it's, it's really yeah. well done it, again so it's, it's just nice little touches like that where i'm like oh okay that's like that tension building where it's like mm. they drop these things as you go and then they give you the sort of like the the uh the fun house or the haunted house payoff at the end um so yeah, uh, Origin of Evil is, is a fantastic film. Um I'm, I'm just going to say actually, like you know, we'll go through this. Oculus uh, before we as we build up. Oculus six point five, Hush six point six. Before Awake six point two, uh, Ouija Origin of Evil six point two. So yeah, pretty solid
0: um,
1: so far. I mean, now we're going to get back into another Netflix film and our first Stephen King film. First of two Stephen King films. Uh, <laughs> Gerald's Game. And I watched this this evening. This is sort of the last Ooh, one Oh, did watched. you? Yeah. And again, I was in two minds about this because there are moments of brilliance in this and there are moments when I'm like, this could have been an hour-long episode of an anthology show. Yeah. <laughs> um, it... It, which is the thing funny enough when you read some of stephen king's longer short stories you're a bit like this probably could have been 40 pages shorter <laughs> um yeah again like the the main actress who we, we will you know we obviously get to see later on again um uh so carla uh guino um
0: thank you because i'm never going to pronounce that no <laughs> <laughs>
1: um She's she's very good. Her and then obviously Bruce, Bruce Greenwood are the ones that hold the screen for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it's they're very good. But there were scenes. And I ain't gonna lie, where they were talking. You know, on Netflix. I was watching them on the on the tablet. I was like, tap tap, move on. tap, yeah. tap move on. Like, this scene's going on. Yeah, I get that you're losing your mind and you're talking to these manifestations and stuff. But tap tap, move on um and so yeah i don't know what did, what were your thoughts on it
0: i think my thoughts are perfectly summed up by my other half kevin who when we watched it together because everybody was raving about it when it came out on netflix was well that's just a sort of pretty average tv film isn't it tv yeah. movie and it is like it's like the perfect summary of it it's not bad it's not good it's just sort of there it's it's an unfortunate visual remake of of mediocre Stephen King work
1: yeah like it's, yeah it's one of those that were well, you know if you were to read the story um you would go well that's an interesting story it will never be adapted and then someone adapt and Mike Flanagan goes hold my beer and you're yeah. like oh no <laughs> have it back should have done this the, the problem the problem with this is and we'll I'll tell you what we will get into it a little bit more when we talk about um Got to sleep, Steve, when Stephen King is adapted best, is when he is edited best. Mm-hmm. So there are the, the adaptations are either sort of like they take either chunks out or they you know they rejig things to make it a real like a good film. And I think as you sort of like alluded to, the entire last fifteen minutes of this film are a complete waste of time. They just they don't meet they don't do anything. Like the thing with the Midnight Man. Uh, I hate it, hate it It could be resolved within Just, they show some news Paper clippings And the fact she she then has to build up To this confrontation in the courtroom Which is complete bobbins To to miss to steal a Phelpsism But It, it just, yeah, it, it irritated me That whole last bit
0: Yeah, um, I'm on board, I hate that last bit Can't just walk in and be like oh, Blah, 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 blah at it. Like, it's not it's not how courtrooms work first of all let's discuss that that's not right but I also just think it's it's not needed I think I think the story is good enough not strong enough but good enough without the midnight man it doesn't need it and it takes away from her trauma you know when it's a figment of her imagination or even if it wasn't there at all I think it's a complete distraction from her trauma and the absolute desperate situation that she's in, and yeah, and i I feel kind of the same about having to revisit her childhood trauma. I am not a fan of characters male or female, having a childhood trauma which affects their grown up relationships because I think it's too easy of a trope, yes, and I don't you know, and no offence, Stephen King, because I do think you're one of the greatest writers ever. Um, apart from endings, um, <laughs> you know, I think that's weak storytelling. Yeah, it's lazy. It's lazy storytelling. Yes. Because and one of the things I felt
1: about this was like you know the one of the okay, it's the performances are good, lovely and, great performances, and, and the yeah. direction is good. You know, and there's some really great shots that are creepy or you know cringe-inducing, as we said, and they look good, but the actual story like the, the A to B of it is is so sort of like you know it's not even like the Mike Flanagan rip part of it it's the literal story of this. Yeah. yeah. Um again like you know it's it's the fact that the reveal uh well no firstly like you know the dog eating the the husband. So, look, look, so she she's strapped to the bed he does have a heart attack falls off and the dog coming in and then I'm like all right fine and then the dog starts chewing on I'm like, okay that's gross but then that appears to be the thing that makes a snap yeah and i'm like well you but then you but then you learn she's gone through this other trauma and held this trauma for years i'm like but seeing a dog nibble on your husband's dead body is the thing that made you snap after all that like that's it, it feels this is one of those things where i'm like this feels inauthentic like this feels like you've put things in yeah to further progress the story but don't seem to gel together as a character, as a full character. Yeah. And the same goes for her sort of like, oh, I see, I visualise a, a depiction of myself and my dead husband talking to me to help me through this or to put me off the situation, you know, that sort of like devil and angel on her shoulder. <laughs> Yet we then get, you know, and obviously that's completely in their mind, but then The Midnight Man, is then revealed to be real. And I was like, all I wanted, like, you know, if you wanted to sort of show something, have him as a supernatural entity, like the, the whole bag of bones and whatever, the glowing yeah. eyes. Simply, there was a shot at the end of it when they talk about the police, um, when, no matter how, what, what the police could did in the house, they never found, and she said, like, never found my wedding ring. And it shows a bloody footprint. And I'm like, leave it at that. Yeah that's that is endlessly creepy yeah we we have there might have been the personification of death in that house at that time and it left physical evidence
0: yeah like, I am, wouldn't that I'm be amazing that. yeah it's so much better than it's this weird like man who's got deformities which ugh like terrible people don't have to have deformities gross I don't like that association but who just happens to be there at the same time that their sexy time goes wrong when she's chained to a bed like it just it just doesn't work like it's exactly what you said it'd be so much creepier if you were just left not knowing you'd be like why is that footprint there they're not going to tell us you absolute bastards I love it like that would be my response I'd be like Yeah. yeah Yeah, six like it's just and be like really happy and excited. It's
1: just enough for you to be like, mm. Oh, there's something, you know, there's something more to this, but you don't need to know it. Um, and that was, I felt that this whole thing, the whole of this film, like I say, could have been told in like 45 minutes, 50,
0: you know, yeah, exactly. Totally. And um, it's such a shame because you know, I think the performances are great. I think Bruce Greenwood is absolutely amazing in this film, yeah, like particularly the really traumatic scenes where he's trying to like force the whole he's come in and strapped her to the beds so he's basically sexually assaulting her yeah and I think his acting of that is unbelievable like you know he like just phenomenal acting because you truly believe it and he just like knocks it out of the park and then I think the scenes where he's Imaginary, I think he's fantastic in it as well. I think, you know, I think it's such a shame that she's the main character and not because of her performance, but he just brings it oh, he I think is whenever sinister he's in scene. He's yeah. like, yeah, so good.
1: Well, he's, he's one of these actors because, again, I know mostly from the Star Trek movies, you know, mm. and that's that's serious about it. But it, it, he's also been the voice of Batman in some of the DC animated movies
0: he? I didn't know that Mm.
1: So he's in a couple of those I think even under the Red Hood He's the voice of of Batman in that Yeah, but that's where I know him from So I know he's in that stuff But in this, like, you know, the guy's He's not old, old I mean, he's clearly sort of like, what, in his his 50s And they're like, right, your performance in this Is you in your pants (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty much And he must be like, right, well, I'm off to the gym For the next, like, three, four weeks (laughs) Solid like I ain't leaving that place until I am proper ripped. So fair play to him for doing that because others could have been like, you know, I'm not doing that. Or I'm doing this, like, you know. So fair play to him for, for really going. But like you say, he's menacing in this as well. Like he really yeah. has. Like, I'd love him to play like a, another like sinister baddie role, a
0: villain. Yeah, it's great, wouldn't he? Yeah, really good. Um, uh, but the thing is, again, it's it, like
1: you like, um, say. He, him as Gerald, is fine. Jessie, though, it, it, it's not that she's bad because she, her performances are good. Um, it's just, again, like the story she's given. And then like you say, this thing of like, I'm not going to link it back to my childhood trauma when my dad sort of like, I, even that I was watching. I was like, okay, unfortunately, I have to go back to check this out because I'm not 100% sure like what's going on. And then watching it a second time, I was like, "I don't want to know. It. I don't need to see no. that." Skip. <laughs> no, thank you. Skip. <laughs> um, but again, like you said, this thing of like you know, but even that's not what pays off. Yeah. It's like oh, after she cracked a glass, and uh, it was the glass, knowing that blood is slick. And you just and you can you know, like flipping hell.
0: Like <laughs> a, a much better cathartic payoff would be, she then wrote this into a story, telling the truth. Her mm. dad, who is maybe still alive, gets arrested and goes to prison. Yeah, so that would be a wonder I would be like applauding that ending because she's never shared her trauma with anybody at all, and then this experience without the the whatever is he called the Moonlight Man or Midnight Man? I keep on calling him Midnight Man. I don't know if that's I right. Think
1: so, um, oh, sorry, Moonlight Man. I'm just oh, you. It, it is, is the sorry, Man. Sorry, it's me. I keep on yeah. saying it
0: wrong. You know cut out the Moonlight Man completely and have the ending be really cathartic. She writes it down, takes it to the authorities. The authorities arrest her dad who sexually abused her. And then she's like, and then he went to prison. That'd be the great voiceover at the end. And then he went to prison. Wouldn't that be lovely? Yeah, (laughs) Uh, and I've moved on. It it, it felt a little bit like
1: um, a worse version of Return of the King when you get to the end, you're like, "Oh, it's about to end." Oh, no, sorry, more story. You want know, to tell me some more? Well, this would be a fantastic ending. No, nope. oh right, well we're still going. <laughs> I, I need to, I need to leave soon. So can we? Oh no, you still got more to tell me? Like it just keeps going. And mm-hmm. I'm like, she says, oh, we, "I've set up a, you know, was it? I, I've set up a trust for boys and girls." I'm like I don't care. Like none yes, of this is. this
0: know. None, you've none made of this not matters care about yeah. sexually abused children.
1: Yeah, none of this matters for the story you've just told. Yeah. Like.
0: It's um,
1: we talk about the end of it. this is this feels like a tacked on Stephen King ending and that's the problem with it. Yeah. Um, but let's move to a more a more suitable uh, Stephen King film. Doctor Sleep, uh, seven point three on IMDb, a sequel to The Shining in both book and uh, film. Two two things to, just to note before. Um, uh, I we start on this. I re- I tried to read Dr. Sleep, not for this, but when it first came, out, I tried to read <laughs> Dr. Sleep, couldn't do it, thought it was crap. <laughs> <laughs> I got about 150, 200 pages in, and was like, I don't like this, this is rubbish, and put it and, and never gone back to it. Um, the idea, I, I, and I, I think this plays into the film, <laughs> unfortunately, it plays into the film. Um, the other thing is, I think The Shining is a little bit overhyped.
0: No, I'm not having that. I'm absolutely not having that. We will talk about this on a different episode. Yeah. because <laughs> I'm not we do not it's, have I'm not, the time. I'm not, We've I'm been talking for bad. a very long time, yeah. and I'm not having that bullshit that just came out of your mouth.
1: I'm not saying it's bad. I just think it's slightly like, harsh. But we will have that no, conversation one day. <laughs> you're
0: wrong. <laughs> Let's stick Look, to the, this one. The then. Shining is no exorcist, all right? I'll yeah, give yeah, you that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But whew, I mean. Okay, let's, let's carry on let's with Dr.
1: move on. Sleep. Let's talk about things. In the, let's talk about, um, so again, some great performances in this. Uh, especially some of the child, again, some of the child performances mm-hmm. pretty good. Um, the problem I have with this film is, again, it's incredibly million, long.
0: It's a million hours long. I watched mm-hmm. the director's
1: cut. I watched the director's cut as well actually, and I was <laughs> like, I've gained nothing from watching an extra 30 minutes of this film. Nothing. Um
0: coming in and being like is it still going on it's like yeah yes still
1: on i was thinking that whilst i was watching it oh it's still going and i I, you know i'm not it feels the thing is this film this film feels like it should have been a tv show
0: yes absolutely
1: and i think you could have done more with this by make because the this film by being three hours long and I'm watching characters like Rose the Hat. I'm fine with because I think Rebecca Ferguson is just phenomenal. I think she's she's yeah, one of my most amazing. In she's this one film. of my favorite actresses, and she's she's awesome. Um, and she's very good in this. But the whole thing about the true knot, like it's not you get three hours, and it's it doesn't feel like it's explored enough. Mm-hmm. You just got to have to accept things like, all right, I'm fine. You're gonna know. yes, this is the supernatural entity, and we're gonna sort of accept that. All right, fine. Can we talk about the fact that at one point you're telling them this one's thousands of years old? Like, I need more in this now. I want to more about these characters and why I should either.
0: If this, if this, if they just said to Mike Flanagan, go and do a TV series about the True Knot, mm. I genuinely believe it would be one Ace. of his best pieces of work. Genuine, because for me, watching the film, I feel like he is more interested in the True Knot than he is Danny Torrance.
1: Totally. It's the Tim Burton effect. I find this with some directors. that, And Tim Burton acknowledged this when he sort of made the Batman films. He was like, yeah, Batman's boring. I want to know more about the Joker mm. and the Penguin. I want to know the villains. And I legitimately feel that for this film. I'm like, the true not are interesting. I, I, I don't like the concept. in the In the book, the concept doesn't work for me. Mm. Uh, the way that Stephen King lays it out, these sort of like energy sapping vampires, it, it just doesn't work. It works better in the film um, because they, they give it that visual flair, but they say <laughs> there's certain lines in this film that just make me stop me in my tracks. Then you go, eh, like they, they, yeah, they're a traveling group. Okay. So they're nomadic yet. At one point it's acknowledged. They must be incredibly wealthy and incredibly powerful. Mm. And I'm just saying, what? <laughs> what? Not not seen any evidence of that at all. Like, I, I I am slightly curious how they pay for petrol, but other than that, like, I don't. Ha-
0: what? And mean, sort of- Rose the Hat has the most amazing bathtub in her mobile home that I have ever seen, yeah. and like, it's better than my bathtub mm. in my house. <laughs> yeah,
1: this there's just lines and things that like you see the inside of the house of the that you see inside of these things, like the, yeah, her, her um, RV, you know, this other stuff. And even the hat, like, you know, she says like, you know, yeah, I've mm. always worn this hat. you like, okay, but you've not always been a member of the True Knot. So how, like, who are you? What were you before? Like, and that's what and I want to the know.
0: Scene. He, the, the scene in the supermarket when she's shopping and she sees Abra mm. in the refrigerator store. Is absolutely outstanding. I was completely blown away by the whole, that whole scene, the whole direction of it, the acting um, of Rebecca Ferguson. And there's a beautiful moment where the shop assistant comes over and goes to touch the hat, yeah, and Rogue yeah. goes, goes no, and stops her from doing it. And you're and you're like, there's something about the hats. There's something about the hat. Can Mike Flanagan please go and do a TV show entirely about the hats, please? Because I would watch that. And it's such a shame about this film. I both really liked and really didn't like this film. Yeah, I think it's technically perfect. I think they've like he's him and his team have done an amazing job on how it looks and how it feels. I think that the performances. You and McGregor's not my favorite favorite performance in it. It's this is Rebecca Ferguson's film. She's oh, actually yeah. fantastic in it. Yeah. Um, you know, I think performances are really good. But I just think the original source material is not good enough. And I think that shines through. I feel like, and maybe I'm giving too much to Mike Flanagan on this. I feel like he's trying to make it cohesive when it's a mess. Yeah. And that's what. And I, that's how I felt watching it. I was like, there's so many things here that are so either really competently filmed, directed and acted or absolutely amazing. So I messaged you and I said the scene between Danny and his father at the Overlook I, yeah. absolutely blew me away. But I was like, if this was in Haunting of Hill House, this would be the entire episode. Yes, and we would exactly. all be saying this is the best episode of Dr. Sleep that we've ever seen in our entire like this is the best episode of TV we've ever seen in our entire lives. Yeah. And it's jammed into jammed into a three and a half hour or however long film it is, which is yeah. too long. Yeah. And it's jammed into it. it. It's that thing, isn't it? It's both too long
1: and not long enough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but you, you see that that and you're right. I totally agree with you. That scene in the overlook um, is fantastic. And obviously it's not, it's obviously not. Um, Jack Nicholson playing um, Jack Torrance. But I'll go back even further. Like, There's a scene at the beginning of this that tells you where his head is at. And that's when um, young Danny Torrance is talking to, um, I was going to say, Scatman Carruthers. It's not Scatman Carruthers, clearly, because he's dead. But it, dick. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, Dick Halloran. Uh, and yeah. the guy, and I, I would say again, like the people they cast in this,
0: oh.
1: the go who players who, plays, who comes in as Dick Halloran, who it was played by Scott McAllister's originally, like really good, excellent performance. Like, you know, it's not, he's not mimicking him, he, but it, it's him. Like, they've got the essence. Mm-hmm. And again, um, Henry Thomas being, yeah, is good. Like, they don't over, he doesn't overplay, he doesn't try and do a, um,
0: like Jack a Jack Nicholson impression, impression which
1: yeah. you know other actors would have done, you know, like "How are you doing?" You know, sort <laughs> of like "Oh no, don't do it." Um, um, but like it's that scene where they're on the bench, looking overlooking the the uh, the beach, and like you know uh, Dick Halloran's talking to him, but you know he's telling like you know Doc, you got it, you know, you this is how you do it, and he teaches him about the boxes and stuff. Like straight away, I was like, "Oh, some of the dialogue in this is good." The personal scenes are good. Um, even like for you and McGregor, like when when the cat starts choosing people to mm. die, that's obviously why it's called Doctor Sleep and all this other stuff. Like it needs to be there, but then I'm still going like, does it? Like, do we need three of these? Like, and again, like this is where I was, I was watching this and thinking, as you say, this needs to be a TV show where you go, we're now going to have an episode that's going to explore the in flashback, the true not. You know, we're now going to get the history of like how. not I don't know how they came about, but like, how did Rose the Hat? You know, her sort of at least a flash of her origin and why she became yeah. the leader. Like, she's not the eldest, yes. so why is she the leader? Why is she the strongest? Um, and things like that. It just it just needs a bit more texture to it. I think. Um, it's also a film I'd say of, of although this has got chapters. Let me say about sort of the you know this idea of episodes. This film breaks into three for me. Um, there's obviously the, the first thing of like young, young um, Doc or young sort of Danny up to him being the drunk, and then him sort of getting to um, the town. And then he sort of like there's that moment of his you know finding gaining sobriety, and up until the moment he gains sobriety, I'm like, oh, okay, that's just sort of like your first bit, and then he meets uh, Abra. He, again, like the whole thing around Amber, like I want an Amber ch- as a, as a yeah. small child episode. Like how how the the family keep it quiet and all the different weird stuff that was going on. The piano playing and stuff that's proper creepy. Really well done. Uh, that feels like the middle bit, and then you go third act. We're up to the Overlook. It's like, <laughs> yeah. And again, we're back to the thing of endings. We're just like, what? <laughs> like I know you had to bring it back to this, but it feels so. It felt shit in the book as well. When we sort of like flip through it, it's like
0: feels crap. This feels stupid. Um, yeah, I, I just I know they've got to have the overlook in there because it's The Shining. But his whole, oh, we'll go back in the house and the, the hotel will eat her. I'm just like, I just don't feel like that golden thread works. No. I just don't feel like it does. I feel like if it was a TV show and we had more time to explore why... If he had already been back a couple of times to or try tried and deal to go with back, his trauma, yeah. If he or try tried to go, to go back, back yeah.
1: and he had, he never made it. Yeah. Couldn't, couldn't and make then, himself like, drive up the mountain. like.
0: But to save um, Abra, he will absolutely do it. And it's just like, and that, yeah. that's what it needs. I was a bit exhausted yeah. by that time. I was yeah. like, this has been going on for such yeah. a long time. Yeah. I've wasted my whole Saturday morning without my three year old here watching this and it's and i don't want to feel like that because there are so many compelling things in this film there's so much there is a lot there that you just don't get enough time to explore
1: no you're right and that's the thing like and there's the scenes like um there's a lot there's a bit when they go to look at to look for the baseball boy like there's whole scenes of them driving and i'm just like <laughs> In a three-hour film, you don't need this.
0: I don't need any driving.
1: Please. Don't need this at all. Like there's <laughs> there's faster ways of doing some of this stuff. And again, like when we get one of having binged all this, all these films over the last sort of week, uh, and watching these, I'm like, he like you said, like and you were you are so right. He's so much. His his best work is when he has limitations mm. or it's or it's laser focus on a specific mm. thing like i think you know we said about um the bravery of having sort of, Kate Bosworth as like, as an unlikable character or um the first couple of acts of Hush where you're setting all the stuff up and it's laser focus on specific things and you know there's sort of like subtle scares and that sort of thing so you're watching all that and same with like, origins of evil, you know, there's some great moments and that's a great cast. And you go, oh, okay, this is yeah. And then you get to this bigger film where he's clearly been given a much bigger scope, a much bigger canvas, a much bigger budget. It doesn't fall apart, but it feels less tight.
0: Mm.
1: Where I'm like, this feels like he's let himself off the leash, but you know, this is where I think, and we'll get to it in the next episode, you turn to the TV shows and go, if you want to spend time doing things, you do it that way, not three hours of of you and McGregor. Um,
0: and 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 I completely agree because it's so obvious that he loves the work that he's doing. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, he's and I think you see this in his TV shows or in his earlier work. You know, I do wonder if there's things about when he's it's when it's adaptations that he doesn't. His work isn't as good because he is not able to put as much love and thought and focus into it because he's adapting somebody else's. You know, he, he just, he obviously loves horror. He obviously loves, as we've talked about, you know, like family dynamics and exploring that. And he's, he obviously loves writing and directing. I think you see that in every single piece of work that he does. Apart from Gerald's Game, yeah. And Dr. Sleep, which I still think he's doing an amazing job in what he's doing, but I don't think it's infused with as much. I don't I don't want to say as much care. I don't think that's true because I, he obviously think, had, there's a lot of care's gone into Dr. Yeah, Sleep. I think I don't think it's as good. I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say
1: I, I'm gonna say the exact opposite. Oh I think it's too much reverence mm. for Stephen King. Because you, you said, like when you said, like when he's laser focused on his own work, like it's gold. Like, yeah, you probably you know might fluff this bit, or there might be sort of like the ending might not be great or whatever, but like there are parts like we haven't spoken about film in his own stuff where we haven't gone, but that scene was amazing, or mm-hmm. that element is fantastic. And with Gerald's game and, and uh, we said look with Gerald's game, like it's the reverence of that final act, which feels incredibly Stephen King, of like. I needed to pack on some more pages. Here's some shit for you to read. Um, and the same with like the, the Doctor Sleep. Like, I think about, you, we, you know, we will definitely talk about The Shining at some point. But the one thing I will say is at least Kubrick made it his own. Yes. You know, and this doesn't feel like Flanagan made it his own. This yeah, feels like Flanagan a making a Stephen King film. Yeah. I think you're spot on. And I think that's where, like you say, and I would rather see him write his own stuff, which we'll get to next week on the next episode with his TV (laughs) stuff. And you see where actually, yeah, time isn't a factor. Like he can do eight hours of or more or 10 hours of TV. And it's pretty much all solid. Mm. Um, And so that's when you do, when you see that, you go, we've been 10 hours over here. (laughs) And it's incredibly chilling and incredibly heartbreaking. It's all this stuff yeah you, you you know you've what happened here and you go ah Stephen King that's what happened here like
0: yeah and you're so right so Hill House came out in 2018 and then Doctor Sleeps 2019 yeah so like you know did he get Doctor Sleep because of Hill House I, if think, so, he doc,
1: I think he got Doctor Sleep because of Gerald's game.
0: Gerald's game yeah of course but I would if I was getting him to make Doctor Sleep for me I'd say can you make hill house but doctor sleep yeah and it's but, like what was he asked to do <laughs> because i'd just be like no 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 not that not Stephen, not the stephen king book yeah because you know because haunting of hill house based on a very famous horror yeah, book, yeah, and yeah. he's taken it and made his own i'd be like do what you did with hill house but for doctor sleep that's what i would have asked him to do the
1: one thing i would say is though about that because i totally agree that's what you'd be doing like you know put your spin on it However, Stephen King has an influence on that I mean, if you watch, yeah. look at it, if you if you look at the credits, so like Stephen King's name is all over Doctor Sleep.
0: Yeah,
1: um, and he has—I forget the guy. Oh, what's his name? The director who did—he um, did like The Mist and um, a few others. But he's also did, he also did—he also did Shawshank Redemption, and, and, and he was the guy who kicked off the Walking Dead, wasn't it? Um, he Darabont, Frank Darabont. Frank Darabont. Thank you very much. So when you see what Frank Darabont does these things you know you see that that reverence there and he he did it well i like the mist i think the mist you know he started, i think sure. the mist is fantastic
0: yeah Bloody thomas jane Pop, thomas jane popping doing, up again that's
1: yeah it. <laughs> um but again like Shawshank redemption and when you see these great stephen king adaptations and there aren't many i ain't gonna lie like there aren't many good stephen mm. king adaptations the running man may even be in the top 5 um like you see that there's actually ones where they've diverted and when they sort of, it's really reverent, unless if it's some of his best material, even the Green Mile, which is a good film, mm. is too long and holds a bit too much reverence for the material.
0: Yeah, I don't think Green Mile's as good as everybody says it is. No, I, I'd agree. It's not, it's, it's all right, it's good, but it's not this amazing Just thing. Because it makes you cry, it doesn't mean it's good.
1: Yeah, being kicked in the nuts makes you cry, it doesn't mean it's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Yeah, and that's the thing I think is there's this notion of like say this reverence of like he he likes to work with people that will do his material, not mm. the spin. Because don't forget, Stephen King hates the cubic shining, yeah, hates it. Um, and you know, he had words even about, about other things that have been made, and he but like, Well, I'll go make my own version. Um, and so yeah, I don't think there was that option, and that's where I think like. I don't want Flanagan to do any more adaptations. Mm. I want him to. If he's if he's come back to the big screen, I'd love him to do. Um, a, a, write his own horror again.
0: Mm.
1: You know, explore explore your own family trauma some more, Mike. Do whatever you're gonna do, mate.
0: <laughs> it really works for us. Yeah,
1: that's it. Whatever whatever's helping you is clearly helping us. <laughs> Uh, But, yeah, I think on the silver screen, on the big screen, I think his movies, I think his his catalogue is good. I've enjoyed going through these. Yeah. Really have. Um, I think they they strike that balance of gore and and drama and heart where I think others fail. Um, And I think he knows how to strike that balance for the most part very, very well. But... I do think like you say it's clear like he's picked up some of them I really want to do this to do this. I'm going to make Stephen King film, a Stephen King film and it's like you know, like a child, <laughs> almost like a child <laughs> and so you yeah, well done you know you you did this um now let's see what you can do no, no, it's based on something we've, well, we've give seen give him
0: that budget for his own stuff
1: yeah maybe like you know maybe give him that opportunity let's see what he, what he would do um cuz I think the opportunity is there but we shall see any final thoughts on Doctor Sleep. I
0: oh, know, I think we've covered it. I'll be honest, I would much rather talk about all of his earlier works than yes. his last two films. I think, oh, yes, yeah, they're not really for me.
1: No, Matt, Mike, get back to what you were doing. Yeah, you know, um, let's see Hush 2. Yeah, <laughs> electric. Oh, <gosh>. Um, No, but yeah, let him do some original material. You know, I'd say, let him do an A24 film. Let's see what he can do. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Um, Anyway, we're not done with Mike Flanagan yet. We are for this episode. We're going to bring that to a close. I think we've done our stuff. We've talked for a while, but we're not done with Mike Flanagan because, you know, that's this is, uh, you know, now that's what I call. So we're going to cover everything as much as we can. And in the next episode, we're going to be covering his Netflix television series. So just so you know, uh, obviously, we spoil, we try well, relatively spoil free with some spoilers, but next week on the next episode, you say we are going to be spoiling the crap out of them because you sort of have to. Oh, yes. Um, but we're going to be talking about the haunting of Hill House, Blythe Manor, and uh, Midnight Mass. Um, but also, we will be talking, and I want to tack it on uh, what we'll be talking about is he is doing the fall of the House of Usher. <laughs> Yeah, we are going to have a little bit of a prediction, a little bit of a what's going to be his spin on that story.
0: Oh, um, I didn't know we were going to uh, do that. That's exciting. No, it, it, I, I just
1: thought about it because I'm going to watch one of my favorite Vincent Price films, is the, the House of Usher. And so, oh really? Yeah, I love that film. Fantastic. Uh, his first Roger Corman um, collaboration, and so uh, yeah, well worth seeing. A- excellent film. Um, but yes, we shall do that. We will have that as a bit of a tack on. We will do that, and let's do some predictions. As how is he going to flanagonize it? <laughs> I mean, everybody's
0: going to have some terrible childhood trauma. Yeah.
1: Uh, <laughs> yes. yes. Everyone. Does. There'll be
0: there'll be ghosts just hanging around in the background that you won't notice until your third watch.
1: We will get to that. <laughs> um, we, I, I will also tell you a story about uh, how that Frit, my wife incredibly uh oh, on, one, on one of those episodes uh, and anyway. when we
0: talk about it i'll talk about how i watched haunting of hill house which is not a way i would recommend doing it <laughs> but i also think you should all absolutely re- do it the way that i did it
1: that's an intrigue let's leave that as a cliffhanger for the next episode. let's <laughs> not blow a load too early
0: but brilliant so ria thank you very
1: much for coming on for this episode and leading us to the next but let's where can people find you and where can people hear you
0: yes you can hear me everywhere although not so much at the moment because i sort of took january off so you can find me at Via carrigan on all the normal social media places or at fem on film which is where i talk about films that are that star women and made for women often unfairly maligned so we've covered josie and the pussycats grease Two. Um, Drop Dead Gorgeous, it's only three episodes Uh, I didn't do an episode in January because I was tired but hopefully I'll do a few more coming up, (laughs) I'm also a pop gorilla with the wonderful Tony and I am Jack's Musings, you can find us at pop gorillas and we do reviews of anything from pop culture in any time less time it takes to listen to a song and mostly tony and i are doing oscar snubs for february because the oscar nominations yeah. come out in february and then the awards are in march but the la- but january has been amazing so <laughs> tony and jack have been doing box office bombs and i just sat it out because i exhausted myself doing christmas films and honestly their reviews are so good you need to go and listen to them. And I'm also on Indie comic Spotlight with Tony, which is fantastic, where we look at uh, stuff that comes out from anything other than the big two. And I think that's it. Get that that's over it. the place. Busy, busy. It's wonderful. Yeah. That's this why I is... had to take January off, because I was yeah. just like, I literally do not have the... <laughs> I was like, I can't. I've watched, I watched 25 Christmas films, because I did one for every single day in the run-up to Christmas. That's amazing. And I was like, most of them are bad. Yeah. I cannot watch any box office bombs. I just was like, I cannot do it. <laughs> yes,
1: I had I had a slight falling out with Jack over his uh, his wording of how he felt about John Carter. Can't agree with it <laughs> But uh, we'll leave that for another day. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening. If you like what we're doing, look on your podcast catcher, leave us a review, four stars, five stars. All feedback is gratefully welcomed and appreciated. Gets us up there in the ratings. But if you really like what we're doing, Check us out on Patreon. We do a whole bunch of other podcasts and bits and pieces on there. Uh, my brother from another mother, Julian Darius, and I are working our way through the Twilight Zone, episode by episode, the old Rod Serling classics. And uh, we do that on a weekly basis. Um, and all other, other stuff on there. But if you want to find it, it's patreon.com slash uh, 20CGmedia. the 20th Century Geek Media. There'll be a link down below. Go check it out. But once again, Ria, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, thank you for having me. This has
0: been amazing.
1: Yeah, it's been a blast. And, ladies and gentlemen, we will see you in a haunted house on the next episode. Mm-hmm.